One of the fundamental questions that I've always had, why is it, even though we know better, even though we're a relatively intelligent species and technologically we're advanced, we still have arguments and fights, and on a larger scale, crime and war and hunger. And those questions, even as a kid, was always with me. And that made it difficult as a kid because I would kind of shut down emotionally and all of that. And it was, it was challenging to navigate that. And for me, what was an important moment as a young man is someone said to me, you know what, Joe, you should meditate. And that's how I started learning more about Tibetan Buddhism. That's the voice of Joe Weston, a fairly new friend of mine. We've become pretty good Zoom buddies during COVID. And I call him my Buddhist friend. I've never had a Buddhist friend before. And that's an interesting thing, because as a Christian growing up in a very conservative Christian household, we would have considered friendship with a Buddhist to be taboo, can I say, that something demonic might jump on us by being around people that had such a belief and worshipped a false god, as would have been our tradition. So I want you to hear from Joe Weston today and learn that He's not somebody to be feared, and I don't think he's bringing a demon on me by talking to him. That's going to be our proximity podcast today, where we have unique conversations about God, bringing you into proximity with people you might not meet, other words, like a Buddhist. And before we get to that, let me tell you a little bit today about the revamp we're doing of the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast. In fact, soon it may not even be the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast anymore because my feeling that the time of calling out the Evangelical Church and asking it to change is over. I'm not sure the Evangelical Church is going to or even can change, and maybe that's not my message anymore. But I felt like heaven had a purpose for me to call out some things that needed to be changed in the Evangelical Church, and now... I feel that draw is to, to look at where the church is going forward. I'd love your help in that process. The message, not of God is a Republican, God wants us to take over the government, God wants us to be exclusive and divisive, but rather God is not mad at you. That we can have unique conversations of learning with each other about God and even have those conversations with people that don't claim to be Christian. And to see what a world where God wants to pour out the spirit of heaven on all people and wants us to love all people as we love ourselves, what could that world look like? And if you believe in that message, I'm going to be asking you to help financially and in other ways in the near future. And if you're not on my email list, I would love for you to do that. Go to pastor-paul.com and you'll see a link to sign up for the email list right there on the front page. And would love for you to do that as we will begin to share the changes that are coming down the pike for Pastor Paul and the nonpartisan evangelical. Don't want you to miss out because it's going to be cool as we share the message with the world that God is not a Republican and God is not mad at you. In fact, God wants to do amazing things with amazing people just like you. All right, now with my friend Joe Weston, my Buddhist friend, time for the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast here on pastor-paul.com.
For those willing to listen, learn, and have eyes to see and ears to hear, this is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? Challenging the mindset of right-wing Christianity and encouraging people to have their minds renewed and hearts transformed. What knucklehead, mush for brains, evangelical leaders are trying to, uh, to overthrow Trump. It's a special kind of dumb and calling yourself a Christian. Let's have better conversations about the life modeled in the Bible so we can truly tell the world God is not mad at you. This is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast at npepodcast.com. All right, everybody, welcome to the podcast. Paul Swearingen with you today, known as Pastor Paul on TikTok and the Nonpartisan Evangelical here. Glad you're with us where we are creating unique conversations about God and religion and politics and spirituality. And to that end, I have a great guest for you today that is has become a, a very good friend of mine, even though we've never seen each other face to face other than on the screen as we're doing right now. But uh, his name is Joe Weston. He's an international workshop facilitator, an advocate for lasting peace in the world, a coach. He works with businesses and and I call him my Buddhist friend. We'll find out more if that's a, a, a good explanation of uh, truly who he is. But Joe, wonderful to talk to you on the podcast today. Thanks for joining. It's great to be here, Paul, really. And I love that. It's like it's a modern friendship, right? We, 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 we're developing heart connection and we've never actually met in the flesh. Yeah, that's, I guess that's our world today, isn't it? Well, we'll have to make sure that happens sometime, that we actually meet uh, somewhere in the world. I know. I look forward to that. Um, and so interesting, I wanted you to meet the friends of mine for this podcast, because I said, you and I have become friends uh, through some mutual connections. And I do call you my Buddhist friend. And that may not be a totally uh, 100% uh, correct explanation of who you are. But tell me a little bit about Buddhism for you. And we'll also talk about the book you've written and some of the work you do. But how has that religious belief come to be part of your life? And what does that look like for you? Well, it's a big question. And I'd be glad to answer that. Yeah. And, and, and um uh, Buddhism is my main practice that I do. It's a really important, and it is an important part of my life. I mean, if I can talk a little bit about my journey. I'm originally from New York City, um, and it was a pretty volatile growing up. It was always fighting going on and, and, and some dangerous moments. It was some time when my dad uh, was in jail when I was around 11 or 12 years old. So came from a very volatile experience growing up in New York City. My parents, um, I guess their faith was Jewish. And um, so had to fall in line with that. And I, even as a kid, I was always questioning. I was really a challenge for everyone. Um, I was actually kicked out of Hebrew school because I asked <laughs> many questions. Um, <laughs> now, I knew there was a reason why I liked you. I, I, I got kicked out of my uh, Christian school. So, yes, we are simpatico, my friend. Yeah. And because for me, what it always is, Paul, is that I always in my heart, was I was challenged by some of the hypocrisies that I was being presented by Judeo-Christian sort of ideas or things that just didn't make sense, certainly not to an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old. But I always felt, even then, I can recall that it, I knew there was something larger than myself, and I knew that there was something. And that had always, even in the challenging and dangerous moments in my life, actually helped me through those moments. 
And one of the fundamental questions that I've always had, uh, which has informed all of my work and the work I'm doing now, the work I've done before, is the question, why is it, even though we know better, even though we're a relatively intelligent species and technologically we're advanced, we have all the information we need. I always say that, you know, the, the examples I give is right now we can take close-up pictures of Pluto. That's how technologically advanced we are. We can see into the smallest of atoms. Why is it, even though we know better, we still have arguments and fights and on a larger scale, crime and war and hunger? And those questions, even as a kid, was always with me. And, and that made it difficult as a kid because I, I, that, that I was kind of shut down emotionally and all of that. And it was, it was challenging to navigate that. And for me, what was an important moment as a young man is someone said to me, you know what, Joe, you should meditate. I said, oh, I couldn't possibly do that. I couldn't sit still that long, which was true at that moment. And then they said, well, what about Tai Chi? Because that's like meditation in motion. And, and Tai Chi is, a, is an, a, an Eastern uh, martial art. It's a very powerful martial art. Some of the Tai Chi masters are the most powerful in the world, you could say. Mm. But it's more the softer arts. It's more the where you see, like you, you'll see people in the park doing it. It may seem very gentle, but there's a lot of power, which I could talk talk about, which has informed my work about how to understand how to navigate yourself and others. And that was for me an awakening when I started practicing Tai Chi, because it helped me see the uh, connection between mind and body. It helped me for the first time go within and really monitor my own thoughts and question things that I was thinking, noticing how many of my thoughts were negative and how shut down I was and how I wasn't engaging with myself and others and my environment. And that shifted everything. And that opened up a creativity and a questioning in me that I started exploring many different philosophies. Um, a number of them, Eastern Taoism, um, the, the teachings of Jesus, which I love. I'm a big fan. Um, the more esoteric teachings of Judaism, the Kabbalah, and other traditions and, and, and um, kind of earth-based like indigenous cultures. And that fascinated me to why that fascinated me because it got under i thought the dogma and it always came back to the self and then there was as a young man i just thought it when i was when i was in my 20s or something i just thought to myself i really want one practice that's going to help me anchor all of these practices and that's how i started learning more about tibetan buddhism and that's been my practice now for over 26 years and um, so I call myself a practitioner of Buddhism. Okay. And, and, and for me, what that is, um, is I, I don't see it as a religion. I see it as a practice and that we don't see the Buddha as a God or as it, basically he's a teacher. And he was a man who had his experience and, and his story is he was born as, as a prince in a very wealthy kingdom. His father didn't want him to experience suffering. So he only made sure that he saw beautiful people and young people around him and had everything he wanted. And he got restless as a young man and slipped out of the kingdom and saw for the first time in his life, aging, illness and sickness, poverty. And that transformed everything in him. And he, did, and he left all of that to go understand what are the causes of suffering and went through his own internal process. Cause in a sense, Buddhism is a practice of understanding the different aspects of the mind transforming that to become your most enlightened self. In a sense, to, 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 I think that there's parallels with what Jesus said. It's basically you yourself can connect with God. You yourself mm -hmm. can find within your heart the closest you can come to God 
it's a similar kind of process. And what he would, Buddha would call himself a teacher. So how long have you been a practitioner now? Then? Um, about 26 years, full time. And I have my practice and I, you know, on, on some levels I keep it to myself. It's, it's really helped me. It's transformed who I am. And on some level, it does inform all the work I do and how I choose to be in the world. On, on, on some level, um, what, I, what I find fascinating is that um, in a lot of Eastern philosophies, what it, it's all about who's your, what's your relationship to yourself, to others, and to your environment. And, and to understand that um, on some level, there are no laws, there are vows, which I find fascinating. There's no one telling you you should do this or you shouldn't do that. There's no good or bad. It's simply, in, in fact, you could say instead of good and bad, there's um, beneficial and harmful. Mm -hmm. And that the whole basis of Buddhism is what can you do to increase the happiness and of others and alleviate their suffering? And what can you do to decrease the harm that you're doing to yourself, others, and the environment? That's the basis of Buddhism. Interesting stuff. I appreciate you sharing that story with us and the journey. Um, Christians uh, growing up in, in sort of my evangelical realm, we saw Eastern religions as, as something to fear. And again, you say it's not a religion. And, and so I appreciate that. And I'm sorry to put it in the box of religion. But, but we see that as, a, as an antagonistic belief system towards Christianity. And even what I was told is you're, you're opening yourself up to the demonic realm of, of, of actually dark forces out there. And I would assume you, you find that somewhat, uh, maybe even laughable. I don't know. I don't think you would laugh at us for believing that. But how have you found it to be? I guess, is there a God that you're looking to? Is there a God in your belief system as a practitioner of Buddhism? And and would there be something in opposition to the Christian view of God? There would never be anything in opposition to anything. That's the thing. That's that's Eastern philosophy. That's, uh, that, 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 it's, that's a mental construct. So that's the idea. The idea of good and bad or, or light and dark, they're mental constructs. Um, they're how you determine that. That's your judgment or label of it. And um, so I would say no on that level. And I think it's all complementary in a sense. You know, you, you know, it's, you know, cause I don't know, please, I'm no expert, but I would say that if what, if I would define Jesus as a teacher, he had his own awakening, he had his own experience. And what was the, what was the number one thing he did? He went out and trained disciples. That's really what his focus was. And right. And, and right. And in a sense, you know, and, and so the basis of Buddhism is this idea that each one of us, because if you look at this idea that nothing in, exists inherently concretely, that's the basis of Taoism, right? The Taoism, um, and, and I'll give it to you really quickly, is this idea that there's nothing in this universe that is concrete, that exists on its own, and that, it, and that is not changeable. Everything changes, everything transforms, everything is dependent on other things. Um, everything is moving and, and shifting. Mm -hmm. And that I think that, and, and basically what, what Taoism says, and similar to Buddhism, is that we suffer when we lose connection to that, to that truth. When we try to grasp and hold on to things and compartmentalize things. So the more mm -hmm. we can let go of the grasping, then we just realize that life is constantly in motion. And we train ourselves mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically to be in alignment with 
that with which is changing. I have a, an, an interesting definition. I'd be curious to hear what you think, Paul, that for me, if people would ask me, what's the difference between re religion and spirituality? I would say that religion is the need to make sense of the mystery of the universe. And that spirituality is training yourself to be at peace with the mystery of the universe. Mm -hmm. And so that's what Eastern philosophy is, and, and Buddhism, Taoism, all of those philosophies, is learning how to be in balance and flow with what's unfolding. And that, in essence, means that you're not harming others, <laughs> that you're not um, abusing others, you're not oppressing others, you're simply in alignment with and balance with. Hope you're enjoying my conversation with my Buddhist friend, Joe Weston who doesn't really call himself a Buddhist, but is a practitioner of Buddhist meditation. And I hope you're learning a lot about how we interrelate with people that seem different to us as Christians and how we see God in people around us who look different than us. But during this break, I want to ask you if you would help me financially. Some people say, how can we help? And we have a Venmo account at paul-swearingen-1 if you want to just give a gift. Now, my company, my ministry is a for-profit ministry. And I've done that for a particular reason, because I think many churches violate the 501c3 not-for-profit laws of the country with our discussion of politics and government. I want to be able to, to, to discuss politics and government because I think it's vital that the church be active in making sure the corporate heart of our culture, which is often embodied through our government, our city, county, state, and national government, must be good. And we have to fight for it to be good. That's my belief. There are others who disagree with me, but that's okay. And because I want to pay taxes. You say, are you crazy, Paul? And I believe in my ministry, I should pay taxes just like you do. And I love to be able to contribute a portion of my money to help pay for roads and schools and public safety and all the things our tax money goes to pay. Don't get me wrong. I pay a CPA to help me keep that number as low as possible. But what I'm required to pay, as you are required to pay, I pay with joy. So I want to pay taxes. And so I have a for-profit ministry. So that means this. If you do give, you don't get the tax break, but you get the reward in heaven, I believe. And you get a reward on earth because I do that through giving. If you want to give a gift through Venmo, but mostly I ask just subscribe to my nonpartisan evangelical Patreon page. If you go to my website, pastor-paul.com, click on the um, Patreon button in the upper right-hand corner, you can join our Patreon page, get access to my audiobook and our private nonpartisan evangelical group. But mostly you'll just be able to say, I support the message of Pastor Paul that God is not mad at the world. Pastor-Paul.com is the website. There's a Patreon button in the upper right-hand corner. Or you can go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash NPE podcast, the nonpartisan evangelical podcast, patreon.com slash NPE podcast. And I will be forever grateful for your support. So join me there at patreon.com slash NPE podcast or go to pastor-paul.com. Click on the Patreon button and join. 
Thank you guys for all your help. Now, back to my conversation with Joe, my Buddhist friend, on pastor-paul.com. That you're not harming others, <laughs> that you're not um, uh, abusing others, you're not oppressing others, you're simply in alignment with and balance with. Mm. That's an interesting definition, and I, I think where I come into agreement with that is I, I actually do believe Jesus' message was an anti-religion message. I, I don't actually think he came to create a new religion, and I think your definition is ac- absolutely right. He said, I want you to connect to the creator of all things. I, you don't have to go through any intermediary now. You go directly to him. Now, where it diverges from Christianity is, the, I guess, the belief in a tangible persona of a god. And, and definitely, Christians believe there's an absolute truth. Absolute truth is a, is a big thing in evangelical conversation. And you either believe absolute truth or you're outside of the, uh, the realm of godly belief. And if you're outside the realm of godly belief, then all kinds of ugly things can happen there. So I, I, certainly that's where the, where the difference is between the belief systems. And more and more, I'm, I'm starting to see that that just seems weird. Like if there is a God and God is good and God wants to draw all people to himself, if I can use that, that as a he in that term, it just seems weird that it's this search for who's us and who's not. Okay. So that's what I love the language that you're sharing. Well, to, and yeah, and, and to go further, um, go back to the question you asked earlier is that for if there's nothing that is concrete, that means and that everything is shifting and that, and that according to Buddhist beliefs that there are many Buddhas there. And basically being a Buddha is someone who has transcended their earthly desires in a sense and 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 their grasping and their anger and their and and can see reality as it is the truth mm-hmm. in a um, um that's what in a sense we aspire to that each one of us have within us and every being birds bees um you know, lions human beings each one of us has a buddha potential the potential to do that and that basically it's in the it's a mind it's training. It's like a. There are many people who say that Buddha was the first psychologist. Oh you, wow! All of Buddhism is basically understanding the construct of the mind. That's really it. And that most of our suffering and how we uh, is is based on these mental constructs we create, which creates other or enemy, uh, good or bad. And so you. You do these, you, you lead these meditation moments, and I'm not, I can't remember what the name you call them exactly, and I'm sorry about that. And I, I've been involved in one. And so that's not a, are, are you connecting to a spirit world at that time? Are you connecting to yourself? What does, what, what happens in that moment of meditation? So, so yeah, uh, let me see, how would I answer that? I'm connecting to my own, to the, to the kingdom of heaven within myself. Basically, I'm connecting, I'm going within into my heart. Many of the teachings are about, because in, in Buddhism, they would say that if you, um, that the, 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 the your, or in many Eastern and Taoist philosophies, that your core, because that, that most of my meditations is understanding the Dantian, the core and your lower belly, your heart and your brain. 
and mm. learning to bring all three in alignment, your body, heart, and mind. And, but uh, the way most Eastern philosophy would say is that your core your, is how you perceive the world. It's your awareness. Your heart uh, or the, your heart center, the middle of your chest, is where your consciousness resides. That's where your mind is. If you're speaking to a Buddhist teacher and they refer to the mind, they point to their hearts. Mm-hmm. And that the brain is simply a the part of the ne- neurobiology. It's, in, it's what transmits information in and out. So uh, most of Buddhism is understanding how to awaken the heart that goes beyond self-cherishing, that gets to a place of spontaneous compassion, compassion, love, and wisdom for all beings, not just those that you like. And a lot of my work, so, so I, in, in, in essence, when I'm meditating and I'm doing my practices, that's for me. But I've translated all of that. I don't really necessarily, the only place I really would say I've done Buddhist teachings is when I worked in a, in a California state prison for four years. Mm, yeah. And, 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 and a lot, and when I work with some of the groups I've worked with, I've worked with incarcerate uh, with um, severely wounded combat veterans. And that came purely from my heart. I had no relationship to combat veterans. I did have a lot of relationships to, to because of martial arts to the warrior concept and understanding that there's no one on this planet who exudes and lives the value of service more than someone who chooses to go and go into combat. Hmm. And when I heard the statistic about the suicide, I don't know. Do you know the suicide rate of 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 combat veterans in the United States? No, I'm I'm sure it's catastrophic. It's currently twenty a day. Wow. Of of com- people who have people, men and women who have done had co- done combat. It was twenty two when I first heard this statistic, and that broke my heart. Yeah. And you consider we've been in the longest wars in our history since 2001, right? Or, or shortly thereafter. That's a lot of people that are having to fight this, this battle. And, and, and that bro- yes, and that broke my heart and I wanted to do something. So I brought in a lot of my Taoist principles and the communication work I do with respectful confrontation to help them out of those dark places and to mm-hmm. reconnect with themselves and with their loved ones and their caregivers. So wow. I've done, and, and, and work I've done in the Middle East with women's rights organizations, it's really a trip when I'm working with these Palestinian groups as well as these Israeli groups and they're opening to Eastern philosophies. I mean, people who really value very strongly their, their Muslim faith or their Jewish faith are opening to Eastern philosophies. But so I don't necessarily in those settings say that I'm teaching Buddhism, but I'm using the practices of compassion and wisdom um, to um, to in communication trainings in government organizations, right? In conflict resolution, right. all of those things, because um, they're universal principles. So interesting, and, and this is what I, I I want my Christian friends to understand is it's it's interesting that I actually have a coaching project called the Core Core Leader Center. By the way, I did want to mention that that that's the Liberation Prison Prison Project you're, you're talking about there, right? Yes. Yeah, very cool. So you can check that out, Liberation Prison Project. But the word that we use in the New Testament of the Christian Bible for salvation is a Greek word, sozo. And sozo doesn't mean say a sinner's prayer and and go to heaven, even though we use it that way. Sozo actually means to be renewed, mind, body, and soul. It is 
it is your your brain, your 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 core. Um, in in Hebrew, uh, in the book of Jeremiah, it says, "I the Lord test the heart." That's how we write it in English. The literal word is, "I the Lord test the kidneys," which kidneys were considered the seat of emotions for Hebrew people. Like it, we might say, "gut." You have a gut feeling. It's it's your emotional core. And so where what you're saying is very similar to what I believe Jesus brought for us is, is he said, I came to heal you, body, mind, and soul. I came to reconnect all those parts of you to good health in, in all these different facets. And I, I think it's, it's the same goal in a lot of ways that, that God wants us to be healthy in body, mind, and soul. So I love that. Yeah, and I think you know, I'm on, I'm, I'm treading on, on, on sensitive. I don't know, but, uh, but and this is just my viewpoint. So, so a fundamental way I work, in all the teachings I do, if I lecture, if I, if I, whatever it is, I work with the basic principle of my truth does not equal the truth, which simply means all I'm doing is sharing my viewpoints. I'm not trying to convert you. I'm not trying to convince you. You don't have. I'm not making you wrong by believing what I believe. I believe that's going to, you know, with the work I do with respectful confrontation and now with this new body of work I'm developing called fierce civility, mm-hmm. that's the basis of the work. We can have difficult conversations. You can have your viewpoints, but your viewpoints, if they're different from mine, don't have to be a threat to me unless they do threaten my safety. But right. until, up until that point, if your beliefs are not threatening my safety or the safety of my children or, or whatever, or forcing me to believe something I don't want to believe. Why can't you just have your thoughts and beliefs? And, and, um, and I think that um, what Jesus was bringing across, what, what I think where we're at now in the 21st century is this idea of, and I believe if I'm not mistaken, that's what the original pilgrims came to America to do was to basically say, I don't need a church to um, help be the middle person for my relationship with God. I can develop my relationship within myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was the transition that, that Jesus was teaching is that, you know, th- this church, the, the Jewish church, it's become too powerful, you could say on a certain level. Right. And let's not forget that you find God within. Yeah. He said he came to set the captives free. And so we say, have to say, what were they captive too, and more often than not, what he, what Jesus critiqued and what we read in his story is the religious system, that the religious system of the day partnered with political power was creating an oppressive system that, that Jesus then pointed at the temple and said, that thing's not going to stand anymore. And so I think that does bring us to a place of where we see in our culture today very much in us and uh, us versus them, I'm right, you're not. And you mentioned, uh, let me hold up your book here. I think it'll be backwards on the screen, but it, that's it. Respectful, Mastering Respectful Confrontation. And uh, it's a, a great book, A Guide to Personal Freedom and Empowered Collaborative Engagement. And you mentioned Fierce Civility as a, as a program you lead people in. And so what you're saying is, is kind of learning who we are at our core and having that power gives us the opportunity to start to engage with people who may disagree with us and be able to find some way to start to have a discussion, even in the midst of those disagreements. Is that a good definition of what you're trying to, to put out for us here? Yeah, it is. And, and, but there's, there's also the somatic aspect, right? It's, it's theory. 
but because of my background in, in many, in actually in theater, classical theater, and 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 the body, working with the body and movement, and Tai Chi and other martial arts, and then doing a lot of transformational healing work, and working with the body, trauma healing work. You know, I teach a course now at Georgetown, and I've done a lot of trauma healing work. Things are not going to change if we just, you know, just having an idea of something isn't going to change it. We're, we, we gather a lot of information, uh, but we don't do anything with the information. It's yeah. not until we actually embody it and practice. And that's really the basis of a lot of Eastern philosophy, certainly Buddhism, is that just knowing something's not enough. You have to rewire your nervous system to come up with new habits. So basically, my, the foundation of my work is getting people to understand compassion in action. Hmm. And that, and then what compassion really is, and it, and it, and it's, and it's an opening of your heart to something more than just what you're familiar to. And wisdom is to have the courage to really look within and say, maybe the way I see things isn't necessarily exactly how it is. That how could I possibly, as a human being, if I was a god, right? I mean, God. So you might believe God can see things as they are. So if you believe that you can see all things as they are, and your truth is the truth. There's a little bit of arrogance in that, basically. You're saying, are you saying you're God? And to have that humility to say that I can only share and understand as much of this story of that person as I'm capable of understanding. And there's always going to be information I'm not going to have until I ask and be curious. That's the solution. So, so, so just some things, you know, when I do my trainings or whatever I'm doing at the end of the training, I asked the group, we go around and say, just say in one sentence, how was this day for you or the session? And, to, and I bring this up just to give you an idea of how the work is received, is that we did a training for one of the top international consulting firms in, uh, in the world, in the world in a sense. We did it for the, as a retreat for their top leadership of 50 people. We came in just through a three-hour session. And uh, by the end of it, I asked the group, just say in a sentence, how was this uh, experience for you? And one woman said, it's great to feel human again. Mm. And that oftentimes, like in many of the big clouds, like I've worked with NASA now for 12 years and I do the training respectful confrontation and, and, and in other organizations, what I often hear from people at the end of the training is, it never dawned on me that the problem I'm having with my colleague, that I might be contributing to some of that problem. So that already for me, I've done my job, right? I'm, I'm uh, you know, if I can get people to remember what it's like to feel human and I've given them skills that, that now they can go home and practice those skills and know if you use common sense, two plus three is always five. And as far as we know, I feel human now because I did those exercises. Maybe if I do those exercises tomorrow, I'll continue to feel human. So, that that's the shift in culture, right? That's that's the, for me the lasting cultural transformation part of it. And if these people can go home and consider, maybe in all of the challenges I'm having in my life, I'm contributing to some of that. That might shift their whole relationship with themselves, with their surroundings, and with others. Tell me a little bit more about how you define feeling human. I, I think that's a really important and interesting concept because we've had teachings through history that feeling human is not a good thing. And uh, we've had teachings in, the, in Christian history of soul is good, flesh is bad. And even, you know, most Christians will tell me, well, I'm just dirt. And, you know, I'm just lucky that God doesn't fry me today for the bad things I do. So what does, what does feeling human mean to you? And what is the 
positivity that comes from feeling human? Let's see. There's a, well, I can say a number of things about that. I think what she was saying is that she spent so much time in her head, it just was great for her to get back into her body and her heart. That, mm. That's my answer. That's my general answer. Yeah. Is, is to get out of our heads where I think the problems arise, where we create polarization, we create you know, all, the, all the issues, judgment and isolation and separation, and drop, drop into our hearts where there's connection, there's wisdom, there's compassion, there's respect, there's uh, love, um, there's self-care, mm -hmm. and then tapping into the body and listening to the needs of the body, which is, wow, you know, 18 hours a day of, of, of work, it's fine if you're 25, but if you're 45 or 55, it ain't working anymore. <laughs> so you listen. So you get into your body. You start listening. You start listening to um, remembering. Uh, uh, um, you start developing a relationship with your nervous system again. Your nervous system, if, you, if you're a human being at this moment, I feel that we're all suffering from some level of compounded stress, if not trauma, mm -hmm. which means that our nervous systems are in a constant state of threat. And, and therefore, if we're, if our nerve, and if we're not mindful of that, if you're, you, if you're caught up in the feelings and sensations of a nervous system that feels it's always under attack, then you're not feeling human, you're not feeling alive, you're feeling de depleted and drained. And everything that seems unfamiliar is a possible attack, could be a possible threat and attack. Mm -hmm. So when we can get back to our cores, get back into our bodies and align our hearts, minds, and spirit, and our thoughts, when we can find balance in the body again, we open up, there's more joy, there's more peace, there's more creativity, there's more connectedness, there's more compassion and empathy and love. Uh, the things that we're missing because our hearts are shut down and our nervous systems are shut down. I'm doing a lot of talking, Paul. Is this okay? <laughs> I love it. No, I, and now I'm just sitting here contemplating what you just said and so that to me is what human is. Yeah. To be human is to be fully alive, to be in your heart, to be um, listening to the signals in your body for the purpose of living every moment in your thoughts, your words, and your actions, your highest values. Yeah. Whatever that is. And I would say that I would, you know, what are our highest values? And, and, and hopefully their love and compassion and mercy and forgiveness yeah. and uh, charity. And I, mean, I think it's, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but uh, and I think it's it it is also embracing the mess of being human. Um, and I read that in your book where you're talking about, you know, why aren't you cleaning the dishes, you know, with somebody? And and what I think being vulnerable to what we're ask, actually saying is I'm feeling disrespected, you know, or and and so it seems like embracing human, embracing our humanity is to be vulnerable to the fact that human is messy and maybe life maybe really living life is walking through those messes together isn't it that that saying hey this doesn't work for me how do we how do we make this work for each other is is maybe actually the way we live a good life together yeah and that's that's part of the uh, <clears throat> i guess that's going back to the eastern philosophies is just you accept things that you know you don't accept things like with complacency but you accept things as they are and learn to dance with that with grace and compassion and yeah. wisdom and skill. And that it's always messy. Being human is messy. If you're thinking that your, your body is dirt, then you must already know on some level it's messy. Yeah. 
And that the more we embrace that it's messy, we find the beauty in that. Mm. And that <clears throat> it's actually in the messy, if you think about world history, it's in the messy moments that new solutions emerged, that new creative insights, that new uh, initiatives were started. Not when, we're, when it all is fine and well. And that, that to me is the key to deepening of relationship is being able to navigate the messy. Mm-hmm. That respectful confrontation is helping people understand that basically it's a practice and a method to learn how to stand, uh, stand in your power, speak your truth, get your needs met in a way where you don't get harmed and other people don't get harmed. And to see that that requires a certain level of skill to stay regulated, to stay in your heart, to be curious, to give the other person the benefit of the doubt, hear, share your truth, your side of the story, he, be willing to listen with courage to their side of the story, express your needs, hear their needs, and when the needs are th- dropped on the table, then you negotiate and figure out. That's where the new solutions emerge. That's win-win. I love it. And I, I have a, a coaching session I do with people that is called confrontation is good. And I always ask people, I'm sorry, conflict is good. And I ask people, how many of you love conflict? You know, and of course, nobody raises their hand. None of us love conflict. But I think learning to love conflict. And when I hear respectful confrontation or fierce civility, those are, those are active terms, it seems to me. Those are, I'm going to go and have a confrontation because I know I can do it well, and I know the outcome of that is going to be good. And so it seems like that's what I hear you saying. Yeah. Well, I, I may not know what the outcome is going to be good, but I at least know the motive, what the motivation is going in. Gotcha, right. If I may, deline- I delineate between conflict and confrontation. And, and I'm not saying that I'm right, that I have right. the theory, but having delineated helps me to know that when I step into a messy conversation, if I know my motivation is to harm the other, then I know I'm doing conflict, right? If I know my motivation is to, regardless of how horrible it might be or challenging, if my true intention is to deepen relationship, then I I go for it. And I just take a deep breath and I jump in as best I can. And reason why I delineate that is because, so for me, a conflict is any encounter that creates separation, the breakdown of relationship and the disempowerment of another. Why I bring that up? Because if you think about it, being nice can create conflict. What I call, if you suffer from chronic niceness, (laughs) and there's many ways that you are creating conflict. If it means creating separation, harming others without, you know, how many people have been harmed by people with big smiles on their face Mm -hmm. and very sincere looks in their face. And they may not even know that they're harming people and they're still harming people. And for me, uh, confrontation is the exact opposite. It's any encounter, no matter how messy, that uh, brings individuals closer together, deepens the relationship, and empowers everyone involved. Mm. Wow. It's a, it's a challenge for us to learn. And, and so do you think these are ways everybody's trying to figure out how do we bridge our partisan gaps these days? How do we bridge our disagreement on facts in the world. Are, are these tools you think that could help in those arenas of our culture? Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, because it's getting, it's getting under the, the, the intellectual data and facts part and getting back to the heart, common ground, feelings and needs. Where, where do we align? Where do I find compassion? Yeah, and then, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, it's funny just because I was thinking about, a, you know, 
I bring this up in the book I'm writing now called Fear Civility that um, I distill what I would say, because every tradition has had teachings where they provide an ethical code or a moral code or just a, a, a way of being to be your best self, your, to live according to your high, human best, highest human values. And I delineated them into four. May I share them? Sure, yes. <laughs> First is to be kind. And that's not being nice. It's be kind. Okay. Second is to um, commit to nurturing and protecting others. And not just those you love, but what we, it's a Buddhist express, uh, term, a concept, loved ones, strangers, and adversaries. Okay. We expand the notion of love thy neighbor to, because we're living in a world, 20, 2021, we are a global neighborhood, whether we mm. like it or not. We can't go back. We're not going back. And that we have to expand our notion of neighbor to include loved ones, strangers, and adversaries. And I think that does go in line with Jesus' teaching, by the way. Right. <laughs> Everything I'm saying, I think, is <laughs> I think that's my truth. Third is clean up your mess. And if it was a different program, I would say use a different word instead. Of <laughs> we do cuss on this this program from time to time if you need to. Leave that to you. You do it. You go first. No. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the last one is I want to say it exact because it's a there's a um, investigate the true nature of what you believe to be true. And humbly understand that you can't possibly know everything and that and that how you see the world is limited. So those four things, I think, is the it distills all teachings throughout history, human history. Mm-hmm. And I believe that that is what will if we if, if more of us chose to live that way and engage with people from other cult, uh, belief systems. That's what needs to transform. So what I hear a lot in the work that I do from my Christian friends is it is kind for me to tell people they're going to hell, that if that if the bridge was out up ahead on the road, it would be wrong for me not to say, hey, you need to stop and turn around. So what what would your thought and response be to a thought like that? I would say that if that's your truth, then go for it. If you, if you really believe it and, it, and if it's coming from a true place of compassion, why not say it? Why not? If you really be, are concerned about the suffering of a stranger, yay. I mean, we need more people. The question is, what happens after you say it once? Do you force it down? You know, to get, so the, the, the initial response, I would say, is a beautiful response. It is kind. It's compassionate. It's love. And it's exactly what I believe Jesus was saying is if you believe that that is causing them suffering, then of course you want to alleviate their suffering. Then this, the, the part that I think is missed, and this is more from, I think, an Eastern philosophy, or at least my philosophy, is you got to give people time to find their way. And that they may, and, and that, that might take a decade, it might take 10 minutes, it might take lifetimes, according to your belief system. The problem is when you then say you have to do it now, and if you don't, I'm going to harm you or imprison you or, or disempower you. So the initial response is beautiful. The, the, the way of activating it, you know, that, that I would want to know, you know, why do you think that's going to work? And, yeah. and I never understand that, why people think that telling people that they're wrong or bad or need to change, why they think that works. It never works. It, and I think it's, it's a lot of what I struggle with because I do have a lot of people saying, hey, Paul, you're just you're creating division with people. And, 
And I'm like, yeah, but I, I see the trauma that's being created by this dominant uh, culture in America telling a huge swath of our people, you're, you're subhuman, you're, you're not approved of by God. We're God's representatives, and we tell you that we don't approve of you. And so when do, I guess, is it respectful confrontation to stand up and say, hey, you're creating trauma for people? Yeah, that, that, that's your truth. Of course yeah. it is. Of course it's good to say that. But that's different from what you said. It, you know, the, 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 you, what you said was, I want to have a conversation. I'm concerned. Actually, that, that um, a good friend of mine who comes from a Catholic background, very Catholic in a way, and, but she's also um, in her life been involved with a lot of spiritual things, meditation, healing, um, different traditions. And her son, who is part of a tradition, I think he is evangelical. I think he, you know, he said he's, he's, he's um, so this friend of mine called me. She was really upset. Uh, she loves her children. I mean, she's in her 80s. So we're talking about adult adults. Uh, right. And her son said, you know, mom, I'm worried about you. And, and he's and she said, why? He said, because of all this healing work you're doing, you're going to go to hell. And she was upset. And, you know, and she's like, I can't believe he said that. And I said, well, let's look at it on the bright side. He's worried about you going to hell. And, and she said, oh, yeah, I guess so. So there's loving compassion in that. But, you know, but then I would love to have, if someone wants to contact me, I would love to have a conversation. And where are you getting your facts or your information that you think that the way you see it is the way? And not from a place of I'm challenging you like I don't agree. I just would like to know. I'd like to have that level of confidence that what that 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 it is so <laughs> yeah and and you know and then the other person can say well thank you for that information i appreciate it do you have anything i can read on it because i'd like to investigate because i'm curious um and it might inform me and 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 again even if that person shifts one thing in their life then shouldn't that be enough yeah true true um, it is an it's an interesting season, and uh, I I really, particularly for for me, what has been the result of this in in the evangelical churches? We're seeing millennials and Gen Z are saying no thanks, and and I think the church almost is actually condemning itself to irrelevance in future generations because those generations are saying no thanks. So it is part of the message of what I'm trying to say here is, hey, we're going to have to figure out how we move with this stuff or else we're going to cease to exist. And that's sad. I think that's sad. You know, and that's the essence of fear. One of the fundamental premises of fear civility is that because fear civility is, 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 the subtitle is reviving the global heart, but it's, it's, a, it's a practice and a method to help um, uh, loosen the gridlock of the stagnation of uh, polarization. And that one of the pivots, and it's all about pivots, because we get stuck in, you know, like, like two rams ramming their heads, I'm right, no, I'm right. And we are exuding all of this energy and convincing people that we're right, and that we need to win. And it's a shame because all that energy is being wasted, because you just keep pushing and there's a stagnation there, nothing's moving. Mm -hmm. So to create a pivot that there's a shift which gets people back into flow. And one of the pivots that I say is that fierce ability is not necessarily in what you're saying, but how you're saying it. So my recommendation would be if, if you're noticing that millennials and young people are not interested in the, what the church has to offer, really glean what's the beauty and the jewels in what the church has to offer and find a new way to communicate it. That's, you know, that, that, and, 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 and instead, right, just find a new way to communicate it. 
Yeah. And I, I think the message is beautiful too. That's what it, that what's as frustrating for me is I think the message of Jesus is a beautiful message and message. Yes. you get to, you get to connect directly to the spirit that's over all of this thing. And you don't have to have another human being or somebody else telling you how to do it. Uh, I think it's a beautiful message. So now you moved back from Europe and we don't have a ton of time left to go on all this, but you had lived in Europe for a number of years. You moved back to the U.S. In, in some ways, as I understand your story, to bring this message back, you've worked in women's rights in the Middle East. And now you're doing this in the United States, which is tougher, <laughs> working in the Middle East with, the, with women's rights or dealing with our divided culture where we are today. And I asked that somewhat facetiously, but yeah, no, okay, good, good. No, it's I mean, it's it's for me, it's all universal. You know, I've done work around the world. I've worked in many different countries with many different kinds of people, and you know, and you know, and I always say just the the, the optimistic, the positive thing about that is that it would, the most remarkable thing was when I sat down and talked with people. Everyone had a remarkable story to tell, and 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 everyone's story, I learned something about myself and about life, and that. The only thing that kept me from hearing those stories was my level of curiosity. So I advocate for curiosity. And that there's some, always something you can learn in someone's story. It doesn't mean you have to change your story, but there are ways that it can enhance your story and make it richer and, and, more, and stronger, more credible in a sense. And, and, and at the same time, I saw most horrific suffering. And that the suffering in the US is no different from the suffering in other parts of the world in terms of poverty and in terms of oppression in terms of um, the, the, the divide, you know, the, 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 the waste that, 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 the, that the rich and those with luxuries have and the um, uh, lack of ability for people to get resources, hate and separation. And that it's, just, and it's, and it's based on, again, mental constructs and the amount of suffering that, that we, and we all suffer for it. I mean, that's what I've seen, whether you're the oppressor or the oppressed, we're all suffering for it. And, um, you know, I, I, I think in the Middle East, I did most of the work with Palestinian women's rights groups, but also with Israeli women's rights groups. I think because it was a specific thing, women's rights, it was moving towards something beneficial. It wasn't, you know, you know it wasn't more about, which I have done, mediating peace, peace or, or conflicts and things like that. And, and whether that's in the US or whatever, the a level of heart is really the key to see people in their passion and the more people have suffered the more that they're available in their hearts is what i've noticed mm. the more people poorer people are the more generous they are have you seen signs that make you feel positive about the future of, of where we're going as a culture because it seems like so many of us are so distressed about where we are as as an american culture today i think you know there's a there's a there's a, actually a chapter in my new book um, that's called hope in the messiness. Again, messy. I'd use a different word if I could. Um, <laughs> and I think because things are so polarized, because it's so extreme, it can only get better. And that there, uh, then that th this the the tension is creating like an alchemical reaction where something new has to be born. Mm. It's the Trinity. There's always threes. I say so. You know, and 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 I think um, that. One thing I always say is that it's not sexy for the media to portray the good things that are happening around the world. They know, you know, conflict sells and that there's so many wonderful things that are happening and that the work you're doing 
and and a lot and that you have listeners who are listening to this that would that is what gives me hope and that the more of us that can make these small shifts if you can find every day to do something you didn't do the day before to be of service to someone to alleviate the suffering of someone to make someone happy that's a text that's opening a door for us you know the very basic things if the more we can engage particularly with people we don't know if you walk on streets you know in california you don't usually walk on the streets you're in your car right where you are around strangers just nod and just acknowledge that could that someone being acknowledged by a even a stranger with a smile could be the very thing that kept them from committing suicide that night mm. i'm not joking right. if your intuition tells you I'm thinking of that person, send them a text, even if it's a heart, right? Doesn't take a lot of effort, costs you no money. That yeah. could be the very thing that shifts their whole week, their month, their life. You don't know. It's good. It's me it's good. Yeah. And I, I actually think the the blessing of the season is sort of that middle ground being taken away a little bit, I think has made us all decide, do we want to be in a this or that culture or or do we need to do something actively to change it? So I, I really appreciate you sharing all that stuff. Where can, where can people find you and what's the best way for them to find you on online? Um, I've got, we've got two websites, fearcivility.org or respectfulconfrontation.com. Okay. Facebook group page called Respectful Confrontation. Um, and there are others. We, were, we're, we have a Fear Civility page as well. Um, you mentioned the global heart practice. I just want to share that every Tuesday uh, morning at um, 11.15 a.m. Eastern, Eastern time for 45 minutes. It's, a, it's, an, it's open. It's a free practice. Um, we gather with people from around the world, and it's a practice that I lead people in in what's called reviving the global heart. So the more of us that are connecting in that way, using the World Wide Web instead of to use it to tear it for cancel culture and ways of harming each other. It's using this medium to actually bridge and create connection of people who believe that lasting peace is possible and in a renewal and a revival of the global heart. And so tell again, how do people find that? Um, that on either website, fearcivility.org or respectfulconfrontation.com. Well, I love, I love your message and what you're doing. I've really enjoyed our, our friendship together. And I feel like we're sort of walking some parallel paths. And, and I want people to know that people like you exist and aren't scary and aren't demonic. I, I, I hope that's not, I, I don't mean to insult you with that. When I'm hungry, I could be a little scared. <laughs> but if Absolutely. anybody wants to get in touch, I'd be love to, you know, get in, please get in touch. I'd love to you know, in, in, in as much as I can, you know, to, to, to be in dialogue. And and, uh, and Paul and everyone, they must know you're great. Well, that, this is not true. Uh, this is not true. And it doesn't just My take truth. me in. My truth. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Sorry. That's right. Well, I've enjoyed, uh, I, I, what I appreciate about you is, is just this demeanor that people are seeing now and that you, you really do listen to my beliefs and appreciate what I believe. And uh, we just have so much fun talking together. So I'm hoping we get to work together some soon and we're going to figure that out. It'll happen. happen. All right, Joe Weston and uh, Respectful Confrontation, Mastering Respectful Confrontation is the book. I highly recommend it. And uh, just find him on all these other places and hang out with him. So Joe, we'll talk to you again. Yeah, great. Be well. Be well.